This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. It's time to talk pitching with the pitching guru, Scott Emerson. Chris Townsend sits down with the A's pitching coach exclusively on A's Cast. Outside corner, ring him up. And Eaton can't believe it. Perfect pitch right on the black. Here's Chris Townsend. Will our next guest ever want to manage? It's a great question. Let's find out what's bringing him on. He's a leader of men. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. How are you doing? Emo, how, how do you like that? This is my Riddler outfit for Halloween. How do you like it? Yeah, I love it. At, at first, when you didn't have the mask and hat on, I didn't know if I was going to be talking with J- Rodney Dangerfield or not. <laughs> well, after a while, you got to take it off. It gets a little hot, right? You got to. Yeah, it looks awesome. So I will be, I got the full suit, pants, the whole thing, socks. Uh, we'll be strutting around the neighborhood, passing out candy tomorrow. I wanted to dress up since this is uh we will not be on tomorrow on Halloween, but so I just wanted to show you. I've talked about for years my Halloween costume. Well, here it is. How's the shoes? Uh, I wear black. I just have black dress shoes, but I have the I have the socks with the question marks. I got the full outfit. Look awesome! You look awesome with the cane. You got to go full gore. Uh, have you ever thought about managing? I mean, I guess it's always something that uh, crosses your mind, you know, um, but I really haven't gone in, in full detail with it. Uh, you know, th- those guys, uh, you know, what what Mark Kotze and Bob Melvin do are, is tremendous uh, preparation, which I, I love to prepare. Uh, I mean, I guess I would always entertain the idea. You know, I think, uh, you know, when, when it comes to managing, you know, your, your bullpen is the most important part of it, in my opinion, is how you're going to keep your bullpen guys, you know, sustainable over the course of 162. You know, it's kind of, you know, you kind of know when you should probably pinch hit. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's building that relationships that COTS does so well and uh, being able to manage that bullpen. Major League Baseball is talking about going from 13 pitchers. Now, not you, you just deal with what they tell you to deal with. That's your job. Major League Baseball had to legislate against front offices because they were having too many pitchers. So they made it 13. Now they're talking about making it 12. If you have only 12 pitchers, would that, A, make it harder to use openers, and B, how would that change mixing and matching? You know, for, for me, you just you go right to a four-man rotation and keep your bullpen. I mean, that's pretty much what guys are doing now anyways. You know, you're knocking the guy out third time through, which is about 75, 80 pitches. You go three days off and you do it again. You start again. So for me, uh, you know, there, there's uh, ways to get around, you know, 
cutting your relievers down. And, and for me, the first thing I saw is, well, why wouldn't we just go with four starters? And uh, you got some off days. You got more off days now uh, than we've had, you know, five and six years ago. So you, the, you know, your guys are going to get their rest. And I just think that that would be the way that that's the first way I would see it is I'm going right to four starters and I'm going to have uh, I'm going to keep my eight relievers. Do you think baseball would do that? Do you think teams would do that? I don't see why not. I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're, you know, kind of getting consumed about that hundred pitch count mark. Uh, we're kind of pitching more to swing and miss to where, um, you know, guys are trying to strike guys out or, or, uh, you know, the, the at-bats are prolonged. You know, we always used to talk about having 15 pitch innings. Now, you know, league average is rough, roughly over 17 pitches an inning. So, you know, I, I think, you know, any way you, you slice and dice this, uh, somebody's going to come up with a different way to, to uh, use their bullpen, use their options on players. You know, we cut the options down to where you can only option guy yeah. uh, five times yeah. in, a, in a season. So, you know, we can keep trying all this stuff. I, I just don't see uh, where we'll end up going with it. It's going to be interesting. The World Series, game one, man, that could have been won by Arizona. And then game two, they wiped them. They could be up 2 nothing right now. Obviously, it's 1-1. Give me your pitching observations from game one and game two of this series. Well, let, let's get to the obvious that everybody's been talking about. I probably got, you know, 35, 40 text messages. Seawald's fastball to Seager. Uh, in the ninth inning, you know, you know, uh, only 8% of first pitches are put in play. And of those 8%, you roughly get, you know, in general, three hits. So you're really three for 100. Uh, that's how uh, first pitches go. So, you know, what we're, you know, everybody's questioning about the fastball, you know, instead of questioning where it was thrown, you know, he, he tried to go up kind of more middle, the ball kind of, you know, cut on him came right back to the barrel on Seager. And we all know Seager's swinging. At one point in time, I know it was roughly over 50% first pitch swings. And, um, you know, when you know he's swinging, he knows that you know that he's swinging. You know, Tim Hires knows that I know that he's swinging. You just got to put that in a good spot. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to take your chances, I guess. And, and like I said, the number is only 8% of first pitches are put in play. So, uh, you know, they just got beat on, on that particular pitch. But overall, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, both teams have, have been competitive. You know, uh, Arizona got on, on that second game pretty good. Uh, they hit the ball where it was pitched. I think tonight's game is, is really important for Max Serger to uh, really solidify himself. Uh, he's the guy that the Texas Rangers, in my opinion, you know, went out and got for this game. If you look for at tonight's game, you know, Serger pitching uh, in game three, it lines up for him in game seven. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting game tonight. Over and under five innings for Scherzer tonight. Oh, man. You know, I'm not a betting man on baseball. I just like to see Max just go out and uh, see both pitchers have a, have a good pitching duel tonight. He just doesn't want to say under. Emo, I said under. No, no. I hey, said under. Cody said under. It's okay. You can say under. You know it's under. No, I, I, you you know, know. I just want to go out and I want to see both guys uh, go out and pitch well. Well, Brandon Fought was uh, nine years old when uh, when uh, 
It's interesting. He was nine years old when Scherzer made his debut for the D-backs, and when Madison Bumgarner was let go, that's when he was brought up. So interesting two great pitchers of their time, Brandon Fought, uh, kind of looking at his history with these two guys. You know, it's just when I look at style of play, and how the regular season where everybody's playing the strikeout, home run, walk game, that plays for six months. You get in the postseason, and you get a team like the Diamondbacks. Emo, their last seven games, they're hitting 285, six home runs, 20 extra base hits, 14 stolen bases, and six, six sack bunts. Arizona is yeah. relentless. They are getting yeah, you every they're... single way. They are on you from pitch one, and that style of baseball truly plays in short series. I, I think you just, you know, uh, you know, like we talked about trying to score the first run. You know, the in game one, the, the Rangers scored the first run and ended up coming back and winning that game. But, you know, when you're putting pressure on people, you know, that's the biggest thing is, Pressure, you know, laying a bunt down. Now the defense has to make a play. Uh, I think it's just uh, baseball is a game that is played on the field. It's tough to play it on paper, but, uh, you know, Arizona is, you know, in my opinion, relentless of what they do. They take what you give them. You're going to be one, three, five to one, six to the plate as a, as a pitcher. They're going to take off and steal second base or third base and add an extra 90 feet. And anytime you move up an extra 90 feet, it in, increases your, your, your rate of run scored. So, you know, controlling the running game is going to be important tonight. Uh, you know, if Arizona is relentless in their at-bats and don't chase pitches outside that strike zone, they get on base and then they're off to the races. You've got to be able to control that running game. But Arizona tonight, you know, if they take what they get, uh, take what uh, Max gives them, if we're going to throw sliders away all day and, and they're in the zone, they're going to go the other way on it or the left-handers are going to pull them. So I think it's going to be important tonight that the pitchers execute their pitches to the shadow zones, meaning the corners, up and in, and down and away, keep the breaking ball for reach, down and away, chase it when you need to, uh, push them off the plate when you get ahead, I mean, you, you see that's what a lot of teams try to do uh, to Garcia. They get ahead, they move him. Uh, he's been hit a couple times. You know, you know I, I hope that it's not intentional, but they're trying to just kind of get him to think, man, I'm not coming. are they coming inside so they can throw something down and away? And sometimes the ball does get away from you because you're trying to make that pitch. You're, you might uh, – you know, add a little bit more to your fastball and that ball takes off a little bit more and, and you know, hits people or it's a wasted pitch. Because sometimes you throw a ball deep inside that hitter's like, man, no, I'm not afraid of you. I'm going to get up even closer on the plate. So I think tonight it's going to be who can pitch to the edges the best wins the game. Ron Darling, former Oakland Athletic, met great and met broadcaster, made what I think is a very good point. Now, I'm a creature of the late 80s, early 90s. Ricky Henderson changed baseball from the top down, all the way down to us in college baseball, I even say in high school baseball. Not as much high school, more when I pitched in college. When Ricky Henderson was stealing all those bases, everybody wanted to be like Ricky Henderson, we as pitchers had to get faster to home plate. The slide step was created in the 80s, and we really utilized it in the 90s. Fielding our position, 
holding runners on. We had a bazillion different pick plays at second base. We had plays at third. We had all these bunt defenses, I remember, at San Jose State. And Ron Darling made the point, today's pitchers are not even close to that. Today's pitchers are just laser focused on getting the guy at the plate. They don't even, he goes, there's teams that don't even really know how to pitch out. To them, a pitch out is a fastball up and outside. The old school pitch out, he's like, he goes, pitchers today, they don't field their position like they used to. They can't control the running game. They're slow to home plate. You're a pitching coach. You see it. How different, even from when you were coming up, when we were talking about faster to home plate, control the running game, slide step, to where what you see now with the postseason, as you just said, pitchers are slow, and Diamondbacks are going to take bases and 90 feet all day long. Yeah, at one at one point in time, the rule was a, a, a change of direction. The pitcher could come check, uh, said he had a change of direction, and then that uh, enabled him to pitch. Now it's become, you know, we have to come to a discernible stop, a full body stop. And uh, when, when we come to that full body stop, advantage goes to that base runner because now he he can sit around and, and start timing us. Yeah. One, three, five is the general number that you're looking for to contain the running game. Give your catcher a chance to throw somebody out. Uh, you got two disengagements. You disengage twice and you come to that discernible stop. That clock's running down. Now that base runner can use the clock a little bit. So holding runners is very important. And I try to you know, preach to our guys, what goes up must come down. So we don't necessarily have to have this high leg kick because it's going to have to come down. All you want to do really is get into that backside, get into that good load, and and uh, ride it down the slope. But sometimes guys think, you know, they got to generate more power by lifting that leg a little bit higher. But remember, that leg has got to come down. Sometimes that leg goes up just so uh, uh, we know how to time up our arm in the back. So it's educating the pitchers that what goes up must come down. So, uh, you know, getting into that good load and go, getting into that backside, riding out that backside down that slope and really, really fighting to keep that delivery around one, three, five and give yourself a chance to throw a guy out. Pitch outs. Yeah. Uh, we don't really see many pitch outs anymore. Um, you know, the game is changing and it's evolving into a, a different style, but it's, it's kind of fun to see, you know, the base stealing come back in the, uh, you know, I thought uh, the shift, uh, was better than I anticipated, you know. I, I really had a lot of fun with all the new rules this year. I, I kind of thought it kind of brought baseball back to what it was 20 years ago. And it's exciting to play that cat-mouse game with that runner on first base and trying to contain that running game. All right, what is the number you hit and you go, anybody's stealing on you? Like, I'm stealing uh, on you. Yeah, once our guys get to 1-5, you start sweating in the dugout. But what about 1-4-ish? I mean, what is the number? Like, what is, like, the the lowest where you go, man, if you're still at this, you're in trouble? Well, I, I tell you about data here. Uh, we know how fast the runners are, right? That We know the release times, and we know our catcher's times. So we know if a, if a guy has a 15-, 16-foot lead and our guy is 1-4-5, and our catcher's too flat, we know that base runner has a chance to steal a base. So all these things are mi uh, mixed into the data. You know, we'll be looking at the sheet going, all right, this guy's got a big lead. Our pitcher's one, four, five. Our catcher's too flat. All right, 
What can we do? Marcus Jensen, who does a great job on our bench controlling the running game. Uh, he's the guy that gives the signs you might see on TV. And, uh, you know, he does an amazing job, does his homework well, knows the counts, knows everything. That's how much data is out there. We know exactly when they like to steal, uh, how they like to steal. You know, video gives us, does he like to have a walk-in lead and kind of take off? Does he like to time us? Now they also know, okay, this pitcher, you know, his right heel comes off the ground a little bit before. His hands start a little bit earlier. He starts to lean a little bit forward. So now everybody's playing this cat and mouse game. But you know, ultimately, you got to give the catcher something to handle as well. You got to have a good time. You got to give your catcher something to handle. And he's got to come out of the chute and make a good, accurate throw as well. All right, Evan Carter made his debut against the A's. And I remember reading in the notes, hey, this guy was the minor league player of the year. And then he stepped up to the plate, and you're like, well, he doesn't look that imposing. By the way, Evan Carter has eight doubles during the playoffs. That's tied for the most doubles in a single postseason ever with Mookie Betts, Ben Zobrist, Albert Pujols, and David Freeze. When you first saw him, so you were the first pitching coach to game plan for him in Major League Baseball. What were you seeing in reports, and what have you seen so far? Because this guy hits it all over the joint. Yeah, you see a guy, like I said, takes what you give him. Uh, a guy who's got some speed, who can beat out some hits. A guy that uh, is very patient, doesn't go outside the strike zone very much. And when I see that, that's that's important because, okay, now, when we, when we get ahead, where can we go? When we fall behind, where can we go? Uh, you know, our, our double-A pitching coach, Chris Smith, had seen him. Brian Corey, our triple-A pitching coach, had seen him. So you're, you're making some uh, calls to them about, uh, you know, what, what they see. You know, they also write a game report and a game plan, how to get him out as well. So you're reading those reports, and you're just collecting all the data. But he's one of those grinders, man. He, he's just one of those guys that – that, you, you know, you, he might lead off. He might hit in a three-hole. He might hit for protection in the five-hole behind somebody. You know, when you got a guy like him who's patient and uh, doesn't chase out of the strike zone, he's a good protection guy for somebody ahead of him, meaning, hey, I got to go get this guy because if I got to face that guy and he protects himself very well and he doesn't chase – now I cause havoc with two guys on the bases. Yeah, it's really interesting how you guys network together and how much the minor league coaches, it's so important that they write the good reports after every single game. So when you got a guy that comes up and you haven't seen, you truly have resources and eyes that have watched the player. So we always think about minor league guys are down there. You're coaching up the players on your team, but they're also like the coaching staff. They're almost like extra scouts for you down there. Yeah, big, huge, huge part of, uh, of what I like to do. You know, I love to kind of get a history on a guy and go back. And, and you know, the first thing I really do, though, when I get a, a new hitter in the big leagues is I go right to our, our data and I write a report. I don't want to be influenced by anybody else's report yet. So I'll go right and write my report. You know, we got unbelievable amounts of information and I write the report and then I go and read the other reports to see if we're still on the same page. Because if we're not on the same page, you know, I, I also go back and look at the last 100 bats. 
as much as I like, you know, big data and looking at, you know, a, a 300 at bat or, or year sample size, you also have to go back and kind of look at short term. Is he is he uh, making adjustments? Did he change something in AAA to get the, the but he wasn't in AAA very long, you know, and, and then, you know, uh, does the hitting coach when he gets to the big leagues make an adjustment with him as well? So, you know, uh, our coaches at the minor league level are, are amazing and, and they really do a great job of, of helping us prepare for when we do get to see that guy for the first. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Fine. There's people who are going to say, why the heck would you have pitched Adolis Garcia there in game one? And, you know, it's like the Barry Bonds treatment. Like, no matter what, just put Barry Bonds on. Like, you don't want to do – as a pitching coach, when people say that, how do you respond? Well, there are certain times that you, you go around that lineup and you start circling guys that you don't want them to beat you. Uh, he beat him on an opposite field homer down the line. Uh, that's that's a pitch that I, you know, I, I tip my cap to Garcia on that, uh, going the opposite field. Uh, I mean, at some point in time, like I said, you get a guy, you get Garcia on, you pitch around him, you walk him, he steals second base, and now a blooper uh, lands in front of the right fielder and he scores. You know, you might be kicking yourself for, for uh, pitching around him and then letting him steal and then that blooper beats you. I mean, this guy had to beat you with a home run to the opposite field, the big part of the field at that moment in time. And, and I'm sure, you know, their matchups uh, and, and their data, you know, brought to them, okay, let's pitch to this guy and then move on to the next guy. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, as it's, it's tough to tell a pitcher, hey, pitch around a guy. Like, you have to have belief and your stuff that you're going to get that guy out. And no matter how high, how, how hot a guy is for the most part, the percentages are still in your favor. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at numbers, you're looking at percentages, you're looking at matchups. Uh, it just didn't happen. It just didn't work out, you know, and then, and then we get to put on our Riddler outfit and play uh Monday morning quarterback. Right. And just talk about, uh, talk, yeah, there we go talk about uh, what should have, could have, and would have happened if we did something different. Uh, you know, it's, it's not easy. Uh, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, who's behind him right now. And if we make a mistake, maybe that matchup wasn't great uh, uh, on their data set. And they, they preferred that matchup. Yes, he is hot. When's he going to stop being hot is, is something we got to figure out too. What are we going to do to slow him down? Pitching him around him. Yo, it's possible. But, 
Like I said, they got beat uh, to the big part of the field. All right, Texas wins tonight, and then you got the game four. It scares me when you're doing a staff game. It just scares the hell out of me because it takes just one guy to have an off night, and it derails the whole process. That's what Arizona's going with in game four. How do you go about it? What is that like? You're planning on, you're hoping this guy gets you one through two or three, and then three to four or five. Like, like talk us through how you plan as a pitching coach for a game that's going to be essentially a pitch by the staff. Yeah, like, like I said on a couple uh, uh, episodes before, uh, if you've done it all season, then I, I think that's something that you do. If you haven't done it all season, I think it's it's really tough. I know, you know, when we opened up Liam Hendricks, you know, some people said we shouldn't have done that. But Liam had done that seven or eight times leading into that game in Yankee Stadium. So we had done that, and we were successful uh, doing that. So what, what they're going to do is they're going to look at their matchup sheets, you're gonna. You might see uh, Will Smith or Chapman in in the sixth or the seventh, a little bit earlier. Whenever uh, the left-handed matchups come up, or the pinch hitters that they're gonna have to face come up. So you're just pl- ultimately playing a matchup. You're ultimately having a guy ready for every situation. And what happens is you 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 can't go out there and say, okay, let's just leave this guy in because he's pitching good. If the matchup says no, we're bringing in somebody else then that's, that's what you're doing today. You're going in with a plan that, hey, I got nine or ten guys down there. This is how we're going to do it. This is this guy's five guys. This is this guy's four guys. This is this guy's six guys. This is this guy's four guys. And, and you're trying to you know hopefully get through it. Now what happens is the scoreboard is going to change it. You know, you you get ahead by seven or eight or or five or six whenever you feel comfortable. That's when you can decide. Okay, I got a guy who's slated to throw six batters. We're up five six runs right now. If he can just give me two more hitters, uh, then I can shorten this a little bit more. But you're right. You know, the biggest thing that you start doing and and, and you really sweat is all right. Six guys have to pitch really good tonight for us to win the game. Just one hiccup or two hiccups that, you know, it's really tough to come back from that. So uh, that's the toughest part about, uh, you know, doing a bullpen game. Uh, You know, it's different with an opener game or a bullpen game. An opener game, you're just trying to get that starter to land in or the bolt guy to land in a good spot and give you, you know, four or five innings and then see where you're at with your bullpen. When you're doing a bullpen game, you're 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 expecting guys to you know pitch shorter distant you know shorter amount, and then everybody's got to get through it to be successful. It, it, that's a stressful game. It, it it reminds me back in the day, being in a casino at one a.m. thinking playing craps was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a gambler, so uh, a lot of a lot of bad know, decisions it, it, after midnight when you're in Nevada, my friend. And yeah. when, when your buddy tries to talk, hey, let's go play craps, it never ends well. Uh, Want to ask you this before we let you go, because I think this is so interesting. The team that scores first is 29-9 and nine in the postseason. In the postseason, as you've been in it many of times now, there's that desperation. There's that every pitch, every play. In the regular season, we don't have that, right? You're at the Coliseum, the National Anthem. You guys all line up. You put your hats over your heart. 
Next thing you know, the game, each game has a rhythm. Could you manage a 162-game season where guys, that first run, first inning, second inning, were, you know, could you manage like that? Where it's that desperation, we got to score first. Well, for, for me, obviously, as a pitching coach, you always want to be pitching with that lead because you can be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, but that aggressiveness, you know, it still only takes one mistake for the other team get to get back in that game if you get a one-run lead. But, you know, the numbers don't lie. You want to go out there. You want to pitch with the lead. Uh, scoring first, it, it, you know, the, like I said, those numbers aren't lying. So what can I yeah. do to score first to put the pressure on the opposing team? You know, there are tack-on runs. Score first, then then you can start playing some tack-on. Uh, but I, I really do believe that uh, the team that scores first always can relax a little bit more in pressure situations because other people are pressing too much. So I, I would do the best I can tonight uh, to score first. But you, 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 you look at Texas. You know, you get the first two guys on, you're probably not bunting that three-hole hitter. You're going to try to get, you know, three opportunities to drive in a run. But if you're down in that lineup a little bit, uh, like I, I didn't fault Longoria the other day for, for bunting there. I, I just felt he was just trying to, you know, get his guy in scoring position uh, so uh, they could take a lead. Luis Gonzalez, Diamondbacks legend, recently was on our program during the playoffs, friend of the program, stopped by Ace Cast Live, will be throwing out the first pitch. i just wondering, as a, a former two-sport star in the Valley of the Sun, yourself, of course, truly – they compared you to Larry Bird at one point in Arizona. Have they called you about maybe throwing out one of the first pitches? Uh, they, they don't want me out there, you know. Uh, no. You know, the, the, hey, I was, though, in the first Diamondback spring training, 1997. I got a hat that says it. I got released from the Red Sox, uh, got on an all-night plane, flew uh, back to Phoenix. We had spring training in Yuma, Arizona. My dad picked me up. Drove me to Yuma, Arizona, and the great Buck Showalter got on me yeah. because I broke out. I broke out new pony spikes, brand new, right out of the box. I just got released. I'm like, you know what? In order to be important, you need to look important. I'm going to pull out these nice new pony baseball spikes. And I didn't know the rules there yet that you had to have black shoelaces in the black shoes. So I heard about that that day. But, uh, you know, at one time I was a member of those Arizona Diamondbacks and I got a hat to prove it. Yeah, a lot of people don't know with expansion that the minor league teams play before the big league club. Like John Lynch, NFL Hall of Famer, now 49ers GM, has a baseball in the Baseball Hall of Fame because John Lynch, Pro Football Hall of Famer, also played baseball at Stanford. He threw the very first pitch ever for the Marlins. It was their double-A club. So John Lynch is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, that baseball that he threw. So what was that like, by the way, that first time? Because there's no big leaguers around, right? This is just – it's all yeah. minor leaguers. Yeah, it, it was it was, it was was pretty cool. Uh, Mark Davis was still trying to pitch, uh, making a comeback, left-handed, one to Cy Young. Yeah. Uh, we had Travis Lee on our team, who was an unbelievable San prospect. San Diego State, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was it was a lot of fun to uh, kind of see. There were some guys, you know, like me that were uh, you know trying to hang on, I guess, uh, trying to stay alive. Our our pitching coordinator for the Arizona Diamondbacks was our current Oakland A's pitching coordinator, Gil Patterson. Really? So uh, 
So it was wow. that's the first time I got to meet Gil Patterson and and listen to his program and and how he uh, got everybody going for the day. So you know I got to build a great relationship, and um, you know it was it was you know at that time the Diamondbacks if you ripped your pants in the minor leagues they threw them away they didn't put patches on these things they threw them away for a year or two and uh, it was it was really fun to to. Uh, you know, be a part of, uh, you know, I was there a month. I was terrible. Uh, so, uh, I went to high desert and pitched my way right out of baseball. The high and, desert uh, Mavericks, baby. Hey, Hey, another tidbit radio uh, announcer for my high desert Mavericks, the great Johnny Doskow. Yes. You know what? So I'm, there's another relationship there. So I, 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 I may, mean, I may have called cause for two years, I did the San Jose Giants. I may have called one of your games. Uh, if I was around, Mark I Davis, might have been Mark Davis the 1989 NL Cy Young Award winner, Mark Davis, who you're talking about, was on that team in High Desert that I called play-by-play. Yeah, uh, he he started out, I believe, and extended for a while, trying to get his arm back in shape. So I didn't. I, I when I signed, got to spring training. I had like four days before we left. Uh, had a couple interactions with him, but I was gone. I think he stayed back for a while to get his arm going again. And then he went to high desert, but, uh, you know, uh, Travis Lee, I'm telling you, that guy was really good. Well, I, I played against him. Yeah. He, uh, he tore us up. We knew like when he, so my senior year, San Diego state came up and played us at San Jose state and, you knew like every scout in the world was at the ballpark. You know, that when you had, cause I, I mean, I got a chance to play against Phil Nevin, Jason Giambi. These guys were all, all, you know, Olympic guys. Uh, obviously Phil Nevin. I played against Kotze for God's sakes. Kotze was golden spikes. When these guys played, there was a million scouts there. Like Travis Lee, you knew was going to be the first pick, but obviously he wasn't going to be the first pick because he hired Boris. But you did what he got like thirteen million dollars. I mean, when you were playing in college against a guy who was like the best player in college, I got that opportunity a few times. You knew it was in the ball because there was hell. There was more scouts in the ballpark than fans. I I think that people really don't realize how great of a college baseball player Mark Kotze was. I mean, unbelievable baseball player. I mean, a great major leaguer, uh, played a long time. But, I mean, talking about a Hall of Fame college baseball player, 100% golden spike winner, a, a guy that closed games out, you know, from center field. I mean, you know, we don't see that as much, you know, talking about one of the original dirt dogs he should be because that guy played played his tail off in two spots to try to beat you. He would go like three for four against us with a knock and at center field and then come in, blow 96, 97 and close the game out. There you have it. That's why he's the golden spike winner. But you know what the great part is now I tell him when I interview him every Friday and don't forget that. Wow. How about that? Well, you're looking good. You're looking good right now. All right. Enjoy the rest of the World Series. When's our next show? It's right after the World Series. Monday. We will talk to you next month. By the way, I can't thank you enough for uh, doing all this. The fans love it, and your insight is second to none. As someone who has prepared against these two teams, uh, it, it, it's awesome stuff. It, it is. It, 
I mean, we, I wish we could do this every single week, but obviously you're busy during the season. But this, what what you have provided us is just incredible. Well, I, you know, I, one thing we want to do is uh, watch good baseball. And uh, the playoffs have been really good for Major League Baseball. It's really been fun to watch. And and uh, hopefully next year we're we're back in it. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you on Monday. All right. Thanks for having me. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.